to start a little bit differently than I normally do with my sermons. I want to start with a series of, of pictures to help you feel good. Okay, we're going to start with a picture of a very cute puppy. It's cute, isn't it? It's adorable. I'm not much of a dog person, so I also put in uh, some cats. Okay, if one cat's good, a box of kittens is just, you got to love kittens, right? Everybody loves kittens. Okay, and then what I thought was the best picture of all that I could find this week was a baby dressed as Santa Claus, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. If that doesn't hit you in the feels, you're dead inside. That's, that's all I'm saying, okay? Okay, and I show you these pictures. Uh, because if you're here this morning and you need something positive and uplifting and something happy and something joyful, this is all I have for you today. Okay? Soak it up. Uh, enjoy it now while you have the chance. Today's going to be a little bit heavy. Uh, today we begin a new series. It's on a very important topic, what I think is one of the most neglected books, one of the most neglected topics of the entire Bible, and the Bible hits it very hard, and we almost never talk about it, and that is the subject of lamentation. Okay, one of the books of the Bible is titled Lamentations. Uh, lamentations is a book of five poems. Okay, there's five chapters in the book of Lamentations that correspond to five uh, distinct poems. Traditionally, these poems have been attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, they come to us anonymously, but they fit the style of Jeremiah really well. They fit the time of the life of Jeremiah really well. Okay, and they're set against the backdrop of the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, we've talked about this as we talked about the book of Daniel in our previous series and how uh, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed God's city, Jerusalem, Zion. The temple of God itself was leveled no stone was left on top of another. They completely destroyed the city. All five of these poems lament the death, destruction, and displacement caused by Babylonians leveling of God's city. Okay, it's the exile. Okay, so if you're feeling particularly joyful, uh, if everything in your life is pain-free and wonderful and everything is just going great, this sermon series is not for you, and I would advise you not to read the book of Lamentations. All right, so why would we do this? Why do we want to spend time studying poetry that is heartbreaking, that is sad? Okay, I'm not much for poetry anyways, much less for tear-jerking, depressing poetry. So why don't we spend our time studying joyful stuff? Okay, let's do a sermon series on heaven or salvation. Here are the praise psalms of Israel. Why in the world would I choose for our next series to spend several weeks looking at the lamentations of Israel? Well, the reason I'm doing this is because not too long ago in a sermon, I feel like I touched a nerve. Okay, in a sermon several weeks ago, I mentioned that God has called us at Gwinnett to be a place of healing. Okay, that most of the new families that we get that come and join us to be part of the Gwinnett Church of Christ come to us wounded. Okay, maybe you're here because you were wounded in a personal relationship. Maybe you were wounded through some spiritual struggle. Maybe another church wounded you. Okay, but people tend to come to GCC bleeding and needing a family of healing. Okay, I mentioned that in a sermon several weeks ago. Uh, it wasn't what the entire sermon was about. We just mentioned it as part of a, a bigger point that we were making that morning. Okay, but I got more responses from you about that single point than anything else I've preached in my three and a half years at GCC. 
Okay? That is the definition of touching a nerve. So what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Okay? I want us to spend some time looking at the question of how do we move from hurting and from woundedness to healing? We know that the church is supposed to be a spiritual hospital. This is supposed to be a place where we connect with God Almighty and we get our wounds healed. But how do we do that? How do we handle it as God's people when we've been injured? What do we do? And that brings us to a biblical genre that has been almost lost in our modern culture. We don't talk about this at all. And that is the culture, uh, the genre of lament. Alright, so Lamentations chapter 1. This first poem is rather lengthy. We won't read all of it, but I want you to notice how the poet starts. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who is queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They've become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn. For no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. And she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile. Captive before the foe. Okay, as you keep reading this poem, as you keep reading the book of Lamentations, numerous problems keep coming back to the surface. Over and over, the author of these poems keeps bringing up the same issues and saying, this is wrong, this is what's causing my pain, this is what is not right with the world. Okay, and you see these problems in these first five verses, you see them throughout this book, and I want to spend some time highlighting them because I think as we go through our own pain, as we go through our own injuries throughout life, we see these same problems cropping up over and over again. Okay, and the first problem is this, if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is that we never thought it could happen to us. We never thought our particular pain, we never thought the injury that we are dealing with would happen to us. You know, CBS recently did a survey. Uh, tech, or they were surveying drivers asking how many people who are driving on the road today think that texting while driving is a terrible thing and we should have laws in place to make sure that nobody ever texts and drives at the same time. Okay? Imagine what percentage of people thought that was a good idea. Okay? 98% of us think it is terrible to text and drive and we should never do it. Right? I don't know what's wrong with those other 2%. Okay, but 98% of people agree it is an awful thing to text and drive. Next question on the survey. How many of you admit to texting while driving? What do you think the percentage of that was? Okay. Uh, it wasn't quite 98% because not everybody's honest. Okay, it was 75%. 
98% of people think it is a terrible, extremely dangerous thing. We know that people are killed every day in this country due to texting and driving. We think nobody should text and drive, and yet 75% of us text while driving. Why? Because I never thought it could happen to me, right? Those kinds of problems happen to other people. Okay, God's people had witnessed destruction and devastation of all the cities around them, right? Not long before Babylon came down, in the northern kingdom of Israel, our closest neighbor, we watched them suffer defeat and devastation at the hands of the Assyrians. We know that God will destroy cities, okay? The prophets repeatedly warned Judah that if they didn't repent, their own devastation was coming, They watched it happen to their northern neighbor. They watched it happen to other cities all around them. And yet they still thought it would never happen to us until it did. One of the reasons that our pain hits us so hard is because we're not prepared for it. Other people deal with sickness or death or addiction or broken relationships. Other people go to churches where people get wounded. We never thought it could happen to us or at least not in such a painful way. And one of the reasons we hurt is because we weren't ready for it. And this leads us to the second problem, second source of our pain, which is disorientation. And notice verse 10. It says, The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. In other words, we know exactly how the world is supposed to work, right? God is in his holy temple. We are his people. We're going to worship him, and he's going to keep us safe. We know how God has laid everything out. We know how life is supposed to be. But now our anchors have fallen. Okay, all of the touchstones, all of the ways that we knew the world works are called into question. Everything that we knew about life now is no longer true. We thought we knew how this relationship with God was supposed to work out. We thought we knew how our lives were supposed to work out. We thought we knew how things worked, and then suddenly this pain hits, and now everything is called into question, and I don't know what to believe anymore. Okay, what happens when we go through significant pain is we have a crisis of identity. We lose part of who we think we are and how we think the world works. And now we have to reinterpret who we are, especially in relationship to God. What does it mean to be a faithful child of God if I have to endure this kind of pain? It's disorientation. And that leads to number three. Our third problem is a longing to go back to the good old days. Notice verse 7. It says, In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. Okay, there's several lines in the poem just like this. We remember what it was like before the pain. We remember what life was like before we were hurting so badly. You know, I saw a news piece on this not long ago talking about nostalgia among people my age. And it says, if you're my age, if you're, well, I claim 29, but if you're really in your young 30s, uh, nostalgia for you probably takes place in the late 90s. 
hey, we look back to that as kind of the, the golden age. We play video games from the 90s. We watch television shows from the 90s. And there's this resurgence of, of people watching shows like Friends or the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and stuff that was cool okay, when we were young adults, right? When we were teenagers. Right? And this article went on to talk about how the golden age for pretty much any generation is that same period of time, right? Back when you were a late teen, early adult. Okay, you recognize your golden age as the time when you were old enough to participate in the world, you knew what was going on, but you weren't quite old enough yet to have all the pain of life, right? You weren't quite old enough yet to have seen all your idols fall, um, to experience how the, the world also comes with a lot of pain and responsibility. Okay, there is a natural inclination for all of us to go back to a time when life was easier, when it was simple, a time when we didn't have all of the problems of today. Okay, so here's what we do. Okay, we think, you know, if I could just go back in my marriage to the way things were. Or you remember how happy we were before the sickness hit. Or you remember what life was like before this addiction got out of control. Okay, and part of what breaks our hearts and brings our pain into such focus is that we have these vivid memories of what life was like before the pain. Okay, and we know it's lost, but we still have that daydream of, if I could just go back to the good old days. All right, the fourth problem in the poem, this is probably the, the part of the pain that comes up the most often in Lamentations is the problem of isolation. Notice verse 16. It says, This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. And one of the things that will make pain more enduring than anything else is if we go through our pain alone. Okay, God in his own nature is community. We worship a triune God, a God who created himself within community. Okay, God created us for community. Okay, one of the hardest aspects of our pain is when we feel like we are alone in it. All right, we're coming up on spring break. Uh, Rachel is going to take my boys and go see her parents for a week. Okay? And I'm staying here. So send all your dinner care packages to, to my house. That'll be fine. Okay, but here's what always happens. Every time Rachel and I are apart from each other for any length of time, okay, especially if she's taking the kids with her, which is great. Okay? Uh, for the first day, for the first 24 hours that she's gone, it's going to be wonderful. Okay? It's peace. It's quiet. Everything is great. What happens on day two? Yeah, I start counting down the hours until she gets home, right? You enjoy the peace and quiet for a small moment in time, but then you terribly miss the community that gives us life. Okay, the worst thing that can happen to us when we are going through intense pain is to go through it alone. Why? Because you and I were created for community. I don't care how much of a loner you are or how introverted you are as a person. God has created each of us to be in community with our brothers and sisters and with our God. Okay, fifth problem highlighted by the poem, as a problem of embarrassment. And notice verse 8. It says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. 
Her filthiness clings to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. Lord, Lord, look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Okay, what do we do when we come to church and someone says, how are you doing? We say, fine, right? Does it matter if you're really fine or not? No, you're going to give the same answer every time regardless, right? Someone says, how are you doing? You say, fine. Part of that is because it's just social convention and that's what's expected. Usually when people ask, how are you doing? They're not expecting a real answer. They're just telling you, hey, how's it going today, right? It's not, it's not an invitation to a deeper dialogue. Okay, but another part of that is that we don't want other people to know when we're down and out. I don't want you to know about my pain. I don't want you to see me at my worst. I want to live life as if I've got my life all together. I don't want you to know that I don't have it all figured out. So I'm going to try as hard as I can to keep this mask on and let you all think, oh, everything's great with him because I don't want to be embarrassed by you knowing that I'm in pain. Right? Anyone ever done that? Okay, just checking. We get embarrassed when we're in pain because we don't realize that other people are in pain too, and so we hide it. Okay, so what do we do? I've laid out quite a few problems, but what are we supposed to do with this? Why is the lament so important? What should we do with our pain? And so if you're going to write anything down, write these couple things down. The first one is this, is that it's important to tell your story. It is important to tell your story. It is incredibly difficult to get through anything that you're not able to talk about. Okay, the only way that we can take our pain seriously is if we're not afraid to speak it. All right, there was a book written several years ago by a, a lady named Judith Herman called Trauma and Recovery. And she said something I thought was pretty profound. She said, our typical response to atrocity or trauma is to banish it from consciousness. Certain violations of the social compact are too terrible to allow them to come to consciousness or be uttered aloud. This is the meaning of the word unspeakable. This coping mechanism can enable us to survive during a catastrophe, but after the immediate survival will constrict hope, cut off energy, deplete life, and abort lives of praise. Okay, what is she saying? She's saying often when we're in the midst of deep pain, when some real big trauma has happened, what we do is we push that to the side in order to handle our business that has to be handled right now, right? Okay, for instance, some big car accident happens and you've got to rush your loved one to the hospital. You don't take time to grieve right then or to lament right then because you're taking care of physical stuff that has to happen right now in order to survive till tomorrow, right? So what we do is we push our pain to the side so that we can handle our business, The problem is we keep it pushed to the side and we never actually address it. What happens when we don't actually address our pain? We never deal with it and we end up carrying baggage long after we should have laid it down because we stay in survival mode and never take time to lament. We, if we're going to be healthy children of God Almighty, need to learn how to handle our baggage so that we're not carrying it with us for our entire lives. I think so much of our entertainment, so much of our pursuits, so much of our our rush to work, so much of our our tendency to try to avoid silence at all cost is a way to deny pain. 
The reason lament is so important is because it doesn't do that. Lament speaks it. It takes our pain seriously. It insists on truth-telling. You know, so much of our well-meaning advice when people are in pain is to say things that aren't ultimately helpful. Right? We'll tell people, maybe not in so many words, but we'll tell people, well, you just need to get over it. Right? Or you need to look on the bright side. Okay? And those are ways of us not taking pain seriously, but instead denying it. And unfortunately, what we do when we utter words like that is it's very dehumanizing. It's telling people that their pain is illegitimate. Okay? Lament declares that this is a story worth hearing. And so the challenge in this is don't try to be that isolated hero who doesn't want to bother anybody. If you are dealing with real pain, it is extremely appropriate, especially in the context of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to tell your story. Do you have someone in your life that you feel like you can tell your story to? Someone who will listen to you? Of course, the corollary to this is that most of us need to do a much better job of becoming better listeners. Which on the surface, listening sounds like an easy skill, but most people are terrible listeners. Because one of the things we often do is if you tell me a story and be like, man, you know, I've got this big hospital experience, then my inclination is to say, oh, well, that's nothing. Think about the hospital experience I had with my kid, right? And how helpful is that for the person that's trying to tell their story? And not at all. But what we often do when we hear someone else's story of pain is we immediately launch into our story because most likely our story hasn't gotten much of a hearing and we are both trying to be the listener to each other and then nobody's listening and nobody's getting any better. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to work on our listening skills. After all, Jesus knew he was going to the cross, but when someone came up to Jesus and said, Lord, I've got this pain in my life, he didn't say, well, that's nothing. I'm getting ready to go to a cross. Okay? He didn't do that. Jesus was a good listener. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to work on being good listeners. All right, so the second part of this is then we need to take time to lament. And not only do we need to learn how to tell our story, but we have to actually take time to lament. Okay, I contend with you this morning, we have a very deep problem in our culture, in our world, in that we deny the lament. And I've said this before, but we have praise teams in lots of our churches, uh, but I don't know of a single church that has a lament team, right? And even if we found one in a church somewhere and we said, okay, we're going to set up a lament team here at GCC, I don't know what we would do with that because we don't have any lament songs. One of my professors at ACU, who uh, I love dearly, a dear old man, uh, he led a study of the use of laments in churches of Christ. And his results weren't very encouraging. All right, so when you look at the songbook that God wrote, okay, the book of Psalms, right, the songbook of Israel that God gave his people, this is what you use to worship me, uh, what percentage of the Psalms do you think are laments? Okay, 40%. All right, 40% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Okay, the gray songbook that we have sitting under your chair right now, the Songs of Faith and Praise, what percentage of those songs do you think are laments? 3%. Okay? And most of those we don't know. We don't sing them. 
with breakneck pace, we try to rush healing and deny lament. I know that I talk about Luke a lot when I preach, uh, but that's my story. Uh, The first year of Luke's life, he was in and out of the hospital. He had multiple heart surgeries. He had lots of other surgeries. Uh, We almost lost him a couple times in that first year. And even when he was home, he was home with nursing care. It started around the clock nursing care at home. Eventually, we weaned it down to where it was only overnight that he was at home with nurses. But even when he was home, he was on a ventilator with all the equipment. He was just an incredibly sick baby. It was an incredibly difficult year. Okay, what I need to repent of from that year is that during that first year of Luke's life, I preached nearly a hundred sermons. I only missed four Sundays that entire year. Okay, I look back on that now and realize how insane that was. Okay? But what was I doing? Okay, I was trying to rush through pain and live as normally as possible. Okay, that wasn't good for me. That wasn't good for my family. That wasn't good for the church. Okay? But that's our temptation. We don't take time to lament. We don't take time to take our pain seriously. And part of why we carry our wounds with us for so long after we should have set them down is that we never took the time to actually lament. Fair enough? All right, number three and finally. Another thing that we need to learn how to do is reject mechanical interpretations. Or another way you could say this is reject simple solutions. Reject the easy answer. Laments are complicated. You read these poems, and you see that part of the reason for the suffering, uh, it's, it's multifaceted, right? Part of it is the people's sin. Part of the reason is the wickedness of our enemies. A big part of the reason for the suffering is laid right at the feet of God. It's God, you could have prevented this, you could have done it differently, but you didn't. God, it's your fault. The lament is important because it acknowledges that there is no easy answer for the suffering. Okay, but what do we do? We rush to simple solutions. Okay, we rush for very simple mechanical explanations. Okay, for instance, several weeks ago, I was walking through my son's room to go say goodnight to him. I stepped on a Lego, okay, which all of you as parents know that that's incredibly painful, right? Okay, but I know why I'm in pain. Okay, I'm in pain because Rachel didn't make him put the Legos away, right? It's her fault. Um, no, it's, it's a very simple. I'm in pain because there was a Lego on the floor. So if I don't want to be in pain next time, make sure I don't step on a Lego. It's very simple. It's very mechanical, right? And it works when we're talking about something like stepping on a Lego. It doesn't work when we're talking about the kind of pain that you and I really deal with on a deep level. But what do we do? We try to get a simple explanation, as simple as that one, to try to apply it to our deep pain. Well, if I just had done this one thing, then everything would be different. Or if God had just done this instead, everything would be different. And we rush to those simple solutions, but part of what lament does is it recognizes that our pain is bigger than that. Lament recognizes it can't be easily explained, and that's okay. I don't have to have a simple explanation for why I'm hurting. All right, so here's what we need when we're in pain. We don't need explanations. 
We don't need sympathy. That's not what lament is. Okay, we don't need to compare loads, right? It's not helpful to say, oh, well, someone else is dealing with worse than I am or mine's worse than yours. That's not helpful. Okay, what we need is lament. We need to tell our story. We need to bring our pain before God. We need to recognize that God is the one source of true healing in this world and that until we're ready to bring our pain and lay it at his feet, then we will continue to carry it with us year after year and continue to let it affect our lives long after we should have put that burden down. We'll continue to study this and we'll continue to talk about what it means for us to be brothers and sisters with each other doing the life thing together. But if you only get one thing out of this this morning, let it be that until we're ready to bring our our pain to the feet of God, then we're just holding on to it. Okay? We need to rediscover what it means to lament. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And during the song, we as the church are here for you. And so if you have a prayer request or a need or you'd like to study the Bible with us, or you'd like to talk to us more about anything at all that's going on in your life, This is the time for us as the church to be here for you. And before we sing that song, I want to close with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.